So um, the title of my message today, and I'm just going to jump right in for time's sake, and it's not even like a teaching or anything. I just had some thoughts and some scriptures on my heart, and I really just want to pour out of you my heart from the heart of God about this city, because the, what, the message, that title that he gave me is, this is our city. And I grew up in Warren, Ohio, born and bred. Anyone else who grew up in Warren, Ohio? I graduated from Harding when we were still the Panthers. Woot, woot. That's how old I am. Yes, that's how old I am. Black, red, and white forever. Michael teases me that I'm a Raider and I will never. I haven't been back to a football game. Only the throwback games where they wear the red and white, right? Who's with me? So if you grew up here, you know what I'm talking about. And so um, I'm from this area. And in 1991, I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma to Bible school and um, vowed never to come back. (laughs) Who else trying to escape? (laughs) And look, here we are. I vowed never to come back. In fact, after I graduated from Bible school, I got a job at the Bible school. I, I started actually getting integrated into the Bible school. I was helping at Prayer and Healing Center. I was getting ready to start teaching a little bit in the youth and was really actively involved and loved it out there. And um, so I I graduated in May, started working at the the college in June. That next February, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, move back to Ohio in June. Or in yeah, in June. And I was like, get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) I have escaped. I'm a free woman. And um, I'm out. And he put it really strong in my heart to move back to Ohio in June of 1994. So on June 30th at midnight, (laughs) I wanted to be obedient, but June 30th was close enough. Um, I moved back to Ohio in the time that I was here. I met Michael, and we got married. So I'm like, that's a great reason to move to Ohio, meet your husband, move back. And then he, we left for him to go to Bible school, where we vowed never to move back to Warren, Ohio. And uh, that, yeah, and here we are. And um, so as we went, as he went through school, 1996, 97, 98, the end of his, he was graduating and we both just knew we were supposed to move back here. I was working for some traveling ministers. We were having a prayer time one day for their ministry and they started prophesying to us about God wanting us in Ohio we're like, okay, but we'll give it one year. You get one year, Lord. We're only moving back there for one year. And that was in 1998. How many years? Almost, <laughs> almost a lot of years there. And um, then in 2009, 2010, we were in transition. Um, and we both looked at each other and said, hey, if this is the best time as any to get out of here. So we looked at North Carolina, Florida, Texas, Georgia. Are you seeing the warm theme? Oh, Hawaii. We looked at all these places to move. We were praying about it. And at the end of the day, we had no peace. God said, I want you here. And at that time, he put such a love in my heart for Warren, Ohio, that I can't imagine living anywhere else. It'd be nice to be a little less landlocked, a little closer to the beach. But um, I love my city. Love my city. He's put a love in my heart for my city. And what's happening in my city is breaking my heart. 
And I believe it's breaking the heart of God, and I believe that he has some things that he wants to encourage us with today about our city. Say, this is my city. This is my city. city. So we're just going to share a few scriptures. We're going to go to Jeremiah uh, chapter 15. Um, If you want to write down, I'm going to talk about verses 10 through 19. We're only going to read a couple of them for time's sake. But up until this chapter in Jeremiah, God is prophesying doom, gloom, and destruction through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. And Jeremiah's hearing these words because he's writing them down and he's speaking them out. And Jeremiah gets filled with some fear and some angst about what's about to come. And in 15, chapter, or chapter 15, verses 1 through 9, he starts to complain to God about it. He releases that fear to God. And if you're going to release that fear and complain to anyone, God is the best one to complain to, right? He doesn't expect us to stay all bottled up and pretend like we don't feel anything, to pretend like we don't sense anything, pretend that we don't see anything, pretend that we're not afraid. He knows we're human. And so he listened to what Jeremiah had to say, in verses 1 through 10, and then in verse 11, it says, The Lord replied, I will take care of you, Jeremiah. <sighs> when the word of God comes, there's just a peace that comes with it if you'll receive it. So he has the God of creation, the God who has fought every battle for them, speaking to him, saying, I will take care of you, Jeremiah. And do you think he just let it go? No, no, no. If you read 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jeremiah gets himself in some deep doo-doo with God. He starts to complain and complain and justify himself and justify himself. They're after me. I haven't done anything wrong. I've followed your word. I've done everything right. I've spoken your word to them, and look where it's gotten me. And in verse 18, he says to the Lord, Why then does my suffering continue? Why is my wound so incurable? Your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. And so instead of putting his eyes on the word that God spoke, I will take care of you, Jeremiah, you're going to be safe, he kept his eyes focused on what looked like an impossibility to him. And he said, your help seems as uncertain as a seasonal brook, like a spring that has gone dry. My translation, uh, this is hopeless, and I cannot count on you. You can't fix this. Anyone ever said that? Thought that? Ouch. And so God did not reiterate the promise to him. God corrected him a little bit in verse 19. And it says, so God responds, this is, oh, this is how the Lord responds. Uh, if you'll return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. If you will speak good words, everyone say good words, good words. rather than worthless ones, everyone say worthless. worthless, you will be my spokesman. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you so he said return to me put your eyes on me so that's what he's telling jeremiah here okay you're looking at everything all around you and you're letting it get inside of you so we need to make a change eyes on me change your words and you do the influencing here 
And so that's what he's speaking to Jeremiah about what's going on in his life right there. And this is what he put in my heart for us about what's going on in our city. God, uh, in Genesis 15, 8, we see God speaking a promise to Abraham. We're not going to go to some of these for time's sake. You can write them down, go back and listen to the podcast later. But Genesis 15, 8, God speaks to Abraham and says, I am giving you the land of Canaan. I am giving this land to you and your descendants after you as your inheritance. This land belongs to you. And he tells him how much land. And then if you flip over to Deuteronomy 1, verses 7 and 8, he speaks through Moses to the people of Israel the same thing. All of this land, it's going to be yours. This is your inheritance. I've given it to you as an inheritance to my people. Everyone say, I am God's person. Joshua 1.3, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're right there at, the, at, the, at Jericho, getting ready to cross the Jordan River, ready to go take this land finally, and God reiterates it again. Everywhere the sole of your foot treads shall belong to you. This is your inheritance. And God was talking to Israel. He was talking to them about a natural land. He was talking to them about soil. He was talking to them about where their houses would sit and, and where their feet would walk, where they would live their country. And he had them positioned where he positioned them on purpose. If you look at a map, Israel is like the gateway. It's the center of the world over there. North to south, east to west, to get anywhere conveniently over there, you have to crisscross through Israel. So what he always meant for them to do, what he always meant for Israel to be, was a lighthouse to the Gentile nations around them, to be a representative to the world of what it looked like to live under the protection of Almighty God. Right? They were his people. He gave them that land, and that was the purpose. He didn't just give them a nice house to live in and a pretty land to live in so that they could get fat, sit back, and be complacent. They were supposed to always fulfill the destiny of revealing God to the Gentile nations. They were to be his representatives of what it looked like to live under the protection of God, which was peace and abundance and blessing and love. That God fights our battles for us. And you should want him too. That was always their job. That's his people. And that's why they gave him, he gave them that particular land. And then as they took the land and settled, then Jerusalem became the place where his house was. And that was the lighthouse. And as Jerusalem went, Israel went. And that's why he said in Psalm 122, verses 6 through 9, pray for the peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. O Jerusalem, may there be peace within your walls and prosperity in your palaces. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, may you have peace. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek what is best for you, O Jerusalem. So he gave them this land, and then he commanded them, pray for it. I'm giving you this land, now you need to pray for this land. And then eventually their sin caught up with them and he led them into captivity. And while they were in captivity, he talked to them again about praying for a land. 
And in Jeremiah 29, 7, they're in the land of the captivity in Babylon. He said, seek, inquire for, require, and request the peace and welfare of the city to which I have caused you to be carried away captive. Pray to the Lord for it. For in the welfare of the city in which you live, you will have welfare. Now, that word welfare there doesn't mean government assistance. (laughs) That word welfare there means peace, prosperity, and abundance. So he said, okay, you're in captivity. You're not in the land of Jerusalem anymore. He's not telling him to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. He's saying, pray for your land of captivity. Pray for it to prosper. Pray for it to abound. And pray for it to be blessed. Because when it's blessed, you're blessed. When it prospers, you prosper. It's going to behoove you to pray for your land of captivity. All right, are you following me? Everyone say, this is our city. So we are God's people. And we have a territory that he's given us. We have an inheritance. We have a landmass that we're supposed to take. And it's not just a natural landmass. I have a natural landmass. Michael and I have 0.84 acres. <laughs> tiny little house. In, um, we have a tiny little house on a little lot in Champion. And that's our little landmass. We mow the grass. I say I, say we. Michael mows the grass. <laughs> Michael pulls the weeds. I, I, yeah, I'm no green thumbs here. No green thumbs here. But we have our own little landmass, but that's not what God's given the church as our inheritance. Psalm 2.8 says that he ask and I will give you the heathen as your inheritance. This says the nations. That also means heathen or Gentiles. The whole earth is your possession. So in the Old Testament, he did give them a land. But in the New Testament, what he wants us to take as our inheritance from him is souls. It's people. So when we look at Warren and we say, this is our city, and I say, this is our city, I'm not just talking about the grass out there. I'm not just talking about what's underneath our feet. I'm talking about the people that live in Warren, Ohio. Are you with me? I'm just laying the groundwork here for what he's put in my heart. And um, this is really fussy. So just pretend like you remember I had it on because it looked cute. And, you know, that's what it's about, right? But I'm tired of fussing with it. So um, souls. It's people. We should want people. And James 5 Um, What he calls people is the precious fruit of the earth, right? It says, behold, the uh, the farmer has patience for the precious fruit of the earth till he receives the early and the latter rain. That means he has patience for the harvest to come in before he sends Jesus back. So who is the precious fruit of the earth? Is it us? It was before we were harvested. How many of you were born knowing Jesus? No. (laughs) So at one time, you were the precious fruit of the earth. But now you're a child of God. Now you're a child of the king. You're the most high God. You've been reaped, and now you need to reap. We've been reaped, and we've been given a job, just like Israel was given a job 
to be a representative of what it looks like to the world to live under the covering of following Christ. And part of what's happening in this city breaks my heart because this city, I think Pastor Dan said, has 200 churches in this county. 200 churches. 200 churches with people who are full of the power of God. 200 churches that are full of people who've been given authority by Jesus. And yet our city is known more for a heroin epidemic than for the power of God. And it's breaking my heart. And it's breaking God's heart. And so we're going to look today about what we can do about that. And it has a lot to do with that. So we're going to turn to Matthew 9, 36 through 38. And this was Jesus looking out on the crowds. And it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. And so we're going to look at, at Warren, Ohio and the multitudes through this lens of compassion. Because I see two different lenses here operating within the church and outside of the church. Could you take that down for just a little bit? Um, two different lenses here because um, we can, we're going to be moved with something. You can't just see what's going on in our city and not be moved. How many watch the news about Warren, read the papers about Warren, see it on social media, and it has no effect on you whatsoever? Raise your hand. We'll pray for you. (laughs) It has an effect. And these are the two main effects that I see it having on people. They're either moved with compassion or they're moved with frustration. Do any of you fit in either of those categories? You've either been moved with compassion or moved with frustration, anger, angst. And there's a way that you can tell. Because if you're moved with compassion, you're going to do the works of Jesus about it. You're going to do what Jesus said to do, which is pray. Release the power of God into the situation. Pray for laborers to be sent into this situation. Say, Lord, here I am. Send me into this situation. But if you're moved by frustration, it's going to look more like, mm, you put a wall between you and what's going on. You're in denial about what's going on. It has nothing to do with me. It's not happening to me, so it's not happening. It doesn't affect my life, so there's nothing. I'm not responsible for anything here. Or you can be moved with frustration when you start to have these thoughts And these words are coming out of your mouth about it. They did it to themselves. Anyone ever hear anyone say that? They did this to themselves. They deserve it. Just let them go. Let nature take its course. The strongest survive. Anyone ever thought that? I've thought that. (laughs) And yet that, I don't think, is what Jesus would look at if he saw these multitudes right now. I think, and, and it says, he was moved with compassion on them because they were confused and helpless. They did it to themselves. They deserve this. 
ba 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 ba. It's a disease, it's not a disease. And I think there's so much infighting and trying to figure out and logical thought going on here in a problem that has nothing to do with logic because they're not making a logical decision, these addicts. And so it's our job as the church to make a logical decision for them to pray and to release the power of God. And if you're moved with frustration, what you're doing is withholding the good that God gave you to give. Everyone say, my words carry power. Say, my words release the power of God. Now, if you really believe that, if I really believe that, then we're going to give our words to what God has to say about this right? It's normal. It's natural. And I'm not trying to condemn anyone here. And if you've had those thoughts, well, they did it to themselves. It was a choice that they made and they made their bed and now they got to lie in it. If you've had those thoughts, there's no condemnation here. Those are natural thoughts to have. However, God is looking for a church who's going to move beyond the natural response to things and move into the supernatural response to things. Because when we respond from the supernatural, it's going to release the supernatural power of God into the situation and bring change. Are you with me? So there's no condemnation here. Trust me. Because I've had these very thoughts myself. So what we need to do is look at how we're looking at it. Are we looking at Warren, Ohio, at the people in Warren, Ohio, as the precious fruit of the earth? And do you know what the word precious means? Valuable. Something you want to hold close. The precious fruit of the earth. He doesn't call them the rotten fruit. He doesn't call them the nasty fruit that just fell off the tree that you just kick the apple. You ever kick the apples under the apple tree? He calls them precious. Is that what we think when we see the hopeless and the confused and the lost in Warren, Ohio? Because if not, then it's just a shift of saying, Father, give me your eyes. I want to see them the way that you see them. So do we see them as precious fruit or do we see them as a lost cause? I have seen people as a lost cause before. I had two women, they were sisters, um, years ago that we used to meet at their house every Monday night and intercede for their brother who was just backslid. And we'd intercede and we'd intercede and we'd intercede and we'd pray for him every week, releasing the power of God in his, his situation. And I was driving over there one night one Monday night, and I was so frustrated because we weren't seeing any change after months and months and months of praying. And I got in there, and I could not. I just could not pray for him. I just prayed. I kind of prayed in the Spirit. I just kind of let them pray. And I walked out that door, and I got in my car, and the Holy Spirit said, if I haven't lost hope in him, you shouldn't lose hope in him. If I told you to pray, then there's still hope. But we're so moved by our emotions and we're so moved by what we see and we're so moved by what we feel 
that it's hard to, in faith, release those words. And it was hard for me that night. So I have seen people as a lost cause. But I refuse now to see people as a lost cause. Because God in Isaiah said, is my arm too short? Mm-mm. There is no one, no one that's beyond the realm of God's reach. No one. And we need to participate with him and release the power and open that door for him to be able to move. So are we doing what Jesus said to do? Are we seeing the harvest the way that Jesus sees them? Because how we see them is going to affect what we do. If we see them as precious, we're going to pray. If we see them as a lost cause, we're going to just back off and put a wall up so that it doesn't bother us. And that's not God's plan. There's reasons that we don't pray. Sometimes it's because our heart is cold. We've got that wall up. Sometimes it's because we're too busy to see. Mm. Anybody care to testify to the too busy to take a minute to look around at the harvest and pray? To look around and see what God sees? Sometimes it's because we're hurt and disillusioned. Because we're personally affected by it. And I can tell you, if you have a loved one, and anyone in here who has a loved one who's an addict or addicted to something or been addicted to something, and you see them like a yo-yo, I'm free, I'm not, I'm clean, I'm not, I'm clean, I'm not. It's easy to give up hope and get disillusioned and say, if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now, and withhold then our prayers. But that doesn't do anything but Cut them off from the power of God. They're not praying for themselves. They can't. Those drugs have their brains so damaged. I don't know if you know what drugs do to a brain, but it completely changes the chemical makeup and the pathways in the brain to the where they almost call them brain damaged. And so they can't form a logical thought. And we're looking at them going, well, you know, just be strong. And they're like, I can't. And we debate it. Is it possible? Is it impossible? Is it a disease? Is it a choice? What is it? What is it? What is it? We've got to figure it out. No, we don't. All we need to know is that no matter what it is, our God is greater. And the power of God is stronger than any work of the enemy. So who cares if it's a disease, if it's not a disease, if they're brain damaged, if they're not brain damaged, if it's a choice, if it's not a choice, doesn't make a difference to God because it's his power, period. Right? Right. God, say, God is good. Sometimes we withhold our prayers because it's overwhelming. The problem looks so big and overwhelming that we think, what? is my word going to do against that mountain? Anybody can relate. And so this is what we have. Okay, you can put it up now. We have a gigantic mountain, big, and a teeny, teeny, tiny little God. Right? Why? Why, though? This is, this is how some people see it as so big and overwhelming that what are my words going to do to this? What are my prayers? How are my prayers going to impact this? And I'm going to tell you right now, when you look at the problem as bigger than God, 
the problem is going to stay in your life bigger than God because you're limiting what God can do for you because he works on faith. And if you believe that the mountain is too big, then you're going to have a big mountain and a little God. But it's a quick fix to a great big God and a tiny little mountain. And really all we need to do, and I did this a couple years ago, and it just messed me up for God, is that I went through and I, I, have, I journal. I don't know how many of you journal. I've got about 20 of these lying around. Just ask my children. Because I'm like, I need this journal. I need that journal. I need the red one. I need the blue one. Because I had a whole journal set aside. And, and I like to longhand. I like to write. And so I went through the Bible. And in the journal, every time I bumped across a miracle, I wrote it in my journal. Every time I read a miracle, I wrote it in my journal. And, and through Genesis, through Exodus, through First and Second Kings, through Samuel, through Acts and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you start reading and feeding and reading and feeding on the miracles of God, guess who looks bigger than any mountain that we're ever going to face? The creator of all. The one who can do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask, dream, think, or imagine. And it's just like he said to Jeremiah, eyes on me. Change your words and you do the influencing. And this city and the oppressive, depressive, evil atmosphere that has been set here has influenced us far too long. And I don't know about you, but I'm done. I'm over it. I am ready for the church to take back what we've let the enemy have. And this is what I want us to see. When you see your God as bigger than the mountain, you're going to do the most influencing And how did Jesus say to influence when we're moved with compassion? Pray. But sometimes the reason we don't pray is because we don't think it's enough. I have to do something. Have you ever had that thought? I really just need to do something. Which we do. We do need to go out. We do need to do some things. Prayer is doing something. But a lot of times we look at prayer as that last resort, that thing that we do when nothing else works. Oh, I guess we'll have to pray. But prayer isn't our last resort. It should be our first line of defense. It's what you do to prepare the ground to receive the ones that go. Prayer releases the power of God into our situations. When we speak the word of God, it releases his power into our city. Say, my city. city. It's our city. It doesn't belong to the enemy. It belongs to us. Culture can only reign where the church does not. I'm going to say that again. Culture can only reign where the church does not. When Jesus ascended to heaven, he said, all authority, all authority 
in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so I'm going to give it to you. Now you go and use this authority. Jesus defeated the devil on the cross, in the burial, and at the resurrection, period. He did it. We don't have to fight him. We don't have to defeat him. It's not some big struggle between us or Jesus and the devil still. Completed it at the cross. It's done. Our job is to enforce that victory. And the Bible says that the enemy, the devil, stalks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me tell you, there's only one lion that has any power, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. One lion. And you know when the lion roars, what that does, what that is for? When he roars, what he's saying is everything within the sound of my roar is my territory. And so the enemy's roaring, trying to take territory to see what we're going to do about it. Like the two-year-old. How many of you have ever seen a two-year-old blatantly disobey the parents? So we have an outlet up here. Come on, come with me. An outlet. Have you ever seen a two-year-old try to touch the outlet? And what does a parent say? No. And then what do they do? They reach down. And what does the parent say? And they try to touch it. And the parent says no. And 200 times later, and you're thinking... I'm taking them in to get their hearing checked because they're not hearing me. I said, no, I said, no, I said, no. Same outlet over and over and over. Just so you know, parents, takes a child hearing something 2,000 times for it to become a part of their core belief there. 2,000 times. Let that sink in. But that rebellious little two-year-old goes to and looks right at you going to touch the outlet. Why? Because it's his job to push the boundaries. What's the parent's job? To enforce the boundaries. That's why they reached for that little outlet and you slap the hand. They're reaching for that outlet to see if you're really going to do what you said you were going to do, right? And that's the enemy. He has no power over the church. Jesus gave us all authority. Nothing left for him. And he comes in and he tries. Let me put this sickness on you and see if you'll take it. Let me see if I can push this boundary. Let me see if I can push that boundary. It's his job to push those boundaries. And it's our job to say no. But what happens more often than not is that we're led by what we see and what we feel. We're like, oh, well, I guess. Guess this is how it's supposed to be. But God is looking for a church who's going to be supernatural and respond according to the supernatural. Right? Right. Our job is to occupy. And we do that mostly in prayer. To start, we do that in prayer. And it's not for the elite few. Prayer is practical Christian living. It's for everyone. Say, my words carry power. So it's not time for comfortable Christianity. It's time for conquering Christianity. And I feel like a lot of us have molded 
our Christianity around our life. Wherever it conveniently fits, if it's convenient, instead of molding our life around him. Right? But it's not time for comfortable Christianity where life is just good, so everything's good. It's time for when my life is good, I'm going to share my goodness with them because they need him. It's time for conquering Christianity, and when we are conquering, we're taking ground from the enemy, which is souls. And we start doing that through prayer. Oh, God is still a miracle-working God. We need to see him as a big God. And our mountain is a little mountain because when we see it correctly, then we're going to do what Jesus said to do and we're going to release his power through our words. And we have all kinds of opportunities to do that together. They're going to put a slide up to tell you when we have corporate prayer because Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, we have corporate prayer. Thursday mornings at 9 o'clock, we have revival, corporate prayer. Friday at 9.30 in the morning, a group of us meet here and we pray over this drug epidemic every Friday morning. And you're like, oh, those are all in the morning and I work. Okay, well, Wednesday's at night and then Thursday's starting in the fall sometime, girls, we're gonna have prayer at 6.30 at night. Boys, we might let you come. So, um, but this is, these are opportunities that we can do it together. I want to start a Tuesday, 9.30. I really want to start a group praying for nations and governments. I have that in my heart. So if you have that in your heart, come see me because I can't do it all. But I know God's put this in hearts of people. And this is where we can come together. And there's just something about corporate prayer that lights a fire on the inside of the ones that come. I'm not the only one praying. And when we pray together, it just ignites that fire. He said, out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. And there's just some kind of something that happens when all of our rivers converge together in prayer. But if you only wait for us to gather together in prayer, it's not good. Because you can be watching TV, right? Watching the news and praying for the city. And I'm going to end with this. I promise I'm ending. I'm ending now. I know we're a little over. But Psalm 84, 4 through 7, he gave me the psalm for our city. And this is where we're going to end. And I just want to say real quick, because some people don't pray because they feel like they don't know how. And I've heard that a lot. I wish I knew how. I wish I knew how. Well, guess what? Wednesday nights in August, we're going to have a Bible study from 7 to 8 on prayer and the authority of the believer. So come. If you don't know how to pray, come. If you don't know how to pray, come to to our corporate prayers. I had a girl or a lady come up to me and say, I come to Thursday morning prayer because I want to learn how to pray. And I feel like the best way to learn is to come and by experience. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, teach from 7 to 8, and then we're going to pray for revival at 8 o'clock like we have been. So if you feel like it's you that you don't know how to pray, come, we'll teach you. But Psalm 84, 7, it says, What joy for those who live in your house, always singing your praises. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. That's us. This psalm is talking about Israel. This psalm is talking about the church. This is talking about us who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. 
When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessing. They will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. And the one I want to focus on is verse 6. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. Verse 6 says, passing through the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also fills the pools with blessing. And you're saying, what does this have to do with Warren, Ohio? Listen, Warren, Ohio, back in the day, was a prosperous. It was abundant. There was prosperity and abundance and jobs and health and joy and life everywhere. And what the Holy Spirit ministered to me about verse 6 is that the enemy has tried to make this a valley of weeping and the church has kind of let him. Taking away this job, closing this plant, you're losing this, you're losing that, let's introduce drugs, make it easy. He's turned it into a valley of weeping. That's never God's intent. But it's the church's job to not let culture reign, to take our authority and speak his words over this community and over this city, right? And I feel like the church has been lulled into this, this um, place where we've let it happen. And we've talked about it. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, destroy. That word kill means surrender. And it, the enemy's pushed his boundaries to see what will let him get away with. And we were so disillusioned with this plant closing and that thing that we just kind of went with the flow. Well, that's just, times just change. But it's always been God's intent that where God's people are, that it would prosper. And we've let it go backwards and we've let it go backwards because we've been numbed a little bit. And I, I mentioned this first service. There's a rat in Africa that has anesthetic in its tongue. So let's say it wants your toe, right? So while you're sleeping, it spits on your toe and anesthetizes the tip of your toe. And it starts to gnaw on your toe and you just don't know it's even doing that in your sleep because he's anesthetized it. And then as he's gnawing, of course, more saliva is coming out. I know, isn't this disgusting? I want it to be really disgusting. Because you've got to hate where you are to make a change. And so the saliva comes out and he keeps nibbling, keeps nibbling, more saliva, more anesthetic. Bye-bye toe. And I feel like that's where the church has been somewhat. And there's pockets I know of people in the church who stood faithful, praying and speaking over this area for years. But he's ri- he ripped off a little end of the community and of prosperity. We're like, well, that's all he can take. We're not going to let him take anything else. But as long as I was comfortable, it's okay. I wasn't taking my authority because they lost their job. It's not until it impacts me that I'm going to do something about it, right? And so I feel like we've been lulled into this sense of complacency and God's saying, okay, enough. There's enough Christians in this town Let's just imagine what would happen if we were all saying the same thing about Trumbull County. Not just on Sunday morning when it feels good. Not just on Sunday morning when there's an anointing there. 
But on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and when you're watching the news and when it looks hopeless and when it looks helpless and when your cousin overdoses and when this one goes to jail or that one plant closes, when it looks opposite and in the natural, you want to say, woe is me. This looks so helpless. That's when he needs the church being supernatural and saying what he says. Because the enemy might have tried to make this a valley of weeping, but the church is going to rise up and say, this is a valley of blessing. This is a city where the presence of God dwells. It may have been known for heroin, but it's going to be known for freedom. It may have been known for addiction, but it's going to be known as a place where the power of God is poured out. I hate, hate the works of the enemy. I hate them. I hate sickness. I hate drugs. I hate them. But I don't take it out on the people that are oppressed by them. That's not fruitful. What's fruitful is looking the enemy square in the face and saying, not my city. This is my city. My feet trod here, and these souls are my inheritance, and I'm going to release the power of God into their lives. It's not just our words in prayer when we say in the name of Jesus and amen, dear Heavenly Father. Malachi 3.16 says that those that feared the Lord talked together, and he listened in to what they had to say. It's when you're watching the news. It's when you're talking to your friends. He's ready for our tongues to only speak his word. And when we're united together in that, it's going to change the atmosphere. Just watch it. So I'm going to challenge you to do that. Anytime you're tempted to look at this city and the people in the city and give up hope and think it's a lost cause, I want you to remember this and say, this is a city of blessing. This is a valley of blessing. It's a city where the presence of God dwells, where the kingdom of God reigns, right? And people may look at you funny, but they're not going to look at you funny when it happens. They're not going to look at you funny when his power is poured out and miracles are done. Listen, God is still a supernatural God. And he still does supernatural things. Pat Schatzline ministers to youth a lot who cut and they do that self-harm and they have scars everywhere from self-mutilation. And he prays for them and their skin is immediately made new. Scars immediately gone. You don't think God can correct the damage that drugs did in an instant? And then bring them alongside and to celebrate recovery and teach them how to stay free? Mm. We serve a big God. Amen. I'm done. We're over. Stand up. (laughs) We're going to end different today because we always bless you. But guess what? You're full of the blessing and the power and the fire of God and your words carry power. So we're going to turn around. We're going to face our city and we're going to bless it. Okay? So turn around. Stretch your hands forth towards Warren, Ohio. 
I'm going to be speaking over the microphone, but I want to hear you speaking too. Words of blessing and life over this city. So Father, in Jesus' name, we claim this city as yours. We call it full of the life of God. We call it full of the power of God. We call it full of a church that knows her authority, willing to take her authority and use it and declare miracles and signs and wonders. We call this not a valley of tears. We call it a valley of blessing, a place where the presence of God resides, a place where the kingdom of God rules over culture, where the kingdom of God rules over addiction, where the kingdom of God rules over sickness. In Jesus' name, bless this city. Amen. And that's how easy it is. Amen. Amen. Well, God is good. You are dismissed. Bless someone next to you. Bless your city. Amen.